Welcome to Uplifting Humans, where we honor, empower, educate, and inspire the listener. I'm Solyndran Buller, your host. Today, our guest is what I would call a modern day hero, a mother, a nurse by profession that has a passion for mental health and healing. She meditates and does yoga and enjoys group therapy. Some of you may know her as the girl in Broken at Six. YouTube, which was delivered by Seek Awareness Society. In this heartbreaking documentary, she shares her true story as a daughter who was raped and abused by her father since the age of six. I would like to start by thanking her for stepping up and sharing this dark side of reality, for all of us know that it's a very difficult thing to do. It takes extreme courage and self selflessness and strength to come out with this horrible and unimaginable true story, which exists in many homes today. I might mention that it is not only the female, but in many cases, the male that has had to face this alone. This young lady has persevered and overcome every challenge that has come her way, showing her true courage, her true strength for all of us to see, making her life a lesson that we can all learn from and grow from together. Welcome, Navi Gorcha. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. I am very honored to have this time with you. Thank you. I appreciate your work a lot. I think it's amazing what you're doing. Thank you. And, you know, we've been trying to get a hold of you, and it's a conversation which seems to be growing day by day. And it's people like you, Navi, that have had the courage to step up and say, we can't sit here in silence anymore, because it's through your story that others will learn that they need to step up as well to bring change. I do believe that there is strength in numbers. Yes. Is there anything before we get started, Navi, that you would like to really share with the audience? Um, a couple of things. Bear with me. I am a little nervous. It is a difficult topic to go through. Yeah. And uh, also, if there's anybody listening and that may be triggered in any way by any of this conversation, I hope that they do have support around them or somebody that they can call. Just keep that in mind while you're listening. Yes, I do. I, I agree with that. Thank you for that, Navi. Now, Navi, many have watched your documentary, Broken at Six, and thank God for, for societies such as Seek Awareness Society who, who came to your rescue and said, you know, this is a story worth telling. Um, however, some have not. And I wanted you to share your story with the listeners that have not heard your story, and I want you to take your time. Sure, no problem. I will start off by, uh, I'm born in Canada, in uh, Toronto, and I come from an Orthodox family. I have a mother, a father, and siblings. I unfortunately fell victim to um, heinous crimes against myself, childhood sexual abuse. I was abused until the age of 14, so for consecutive years. And... Um, I, when I came forward with what was happening with me, I was not supported or listened to, and um, it really destroyed me. It was something that I had to really overcome over the years, and through that journey, I have been very independent since the age of 16, and I'm a mother now. I was married earlier, and 
it, it was a lot to go through at such young years. It was very trying. It was, um, it was, it was horrible. Those conditions were horrible. And um, I was groomed and conditioned to believe that um, sexual interaction with my father was normal. And um, I was made to believe, I was made to live in fear that if I ever came forward with anything that I would lose my life or it would not be believed or I would be deemed crazy, all sorts of accusations. I never really, I didn't know what was happening to me until the age of 13. I had no idea, no awareness, no education came my way before that. It came, like I was saying, I came from a very orthodox family. It was very conditioned. It was very, it was very, um, it was, um, more to very, save the face, was it? It was restrictive. All... Yeah, it was very restrictive. So, um, you know, there's not much importance on the female. Um, there's certain duties that you must uphold regardless of anything. And I just kind of fell into those roles and didn't know any different. Well, and, at the age of uh, six, though, Abby, at the age of six, I mean, that's a that's a that's a baby. That's a that's, yeah. You know, what, what, what would you know? I mean, you're still programming your subconscious mind, which means that everything that is happening is something that is accepting because you don't know any different. You don't know, exactly. And the brain cannot comprehend at that age what, what happens on a sexual level or what's happening on that intimate level. There's no understanding of it. There's no words that can be put to it. There's no nothing. So there's no correlation between events so everything that is happening is just happening mm -hmm. there's no recognition that something is either wrong or right or shouldn't be happening or is painful even or is destructive there's no there's no awareness to such things at that age now at that age as you said that it was something that you were conditioned to can you explain to the audience how that conditioning came about so that they're, they're telltale signs for individuals, especially in cultures and communities where they have extended families. What, what, how were you conditioned into believing that this is the norm? Well, I wasn't allowed to question anything. So no sound sense of self. Everything was um, dictated for me. And certain things like, um, you know, our parents know best. And we are not to question the authority. We are not to question their behavior or what they're saying or anything. Um, so grooming, conditioning in that way, grooming in terms of um, if I ever did speak about something or if I ever rejected something, it, w it always came with you don't, you don't know what you're saying. So there was never that development of self that, hey, something that is not making me feel uncomfortable, I'm allowed to voice that. So I'm, the voice was very suppressed. Mm -hmm. And in our culture, I have found that um, women in general tend to be more suppressed in what they're feeling, what they're viewing, what they're doing. Everything becomes kind of governed by an authority figure, usually male. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, those kinds of things. And never, you know, I wasn't allowed to any any misbehavior was not allowed. Any I wasn't allowed to ask for anything. There were so many things that were that was uh, yeah, like I said, dictated for me. 
Mm-hmm. So the, so that as a young child, you were disempowered right at yeah. a young, young age, you were disempowered. Now with that, with that now at the age of six, was it full on your father decided, you know, he's going to, he's going to go all the way. Was it more of a touch, feel, show, see, tell, because there's many levels of sexual. Yes, behavior, there right? are. Yes. So in the beginning, it was a little dormant. It was a little uncomfortable conversation or sitting too close. And my father and my family was this figure that went to work, came home, didn't really interact with anybody. Went like there was a schedule that he followed. And usually it was, he, he was very involved in his work or whatever he was doing at home, very independent to hanging out with us or talking to us or having conversations. So when when something different started happening, it was really uncomfortable for me. I remember being really young and mm-hmm. and feeling like the goosebumps feeling in the back of my neck, like something is wrong, but I can, didn't have words to it. And he would get a little closer. And my dynamic in that family was very different. I wasn't... Um, there, I never really received any love or support or comfort. It seemed very, I was, I was very neglected. I was very on the outskirts of things. And um, now, in the, when I look back at it now, it's the perfect um, environment for a predator because it's an isolated individual and the sense of belonging to something. And, and when that is presented to a child, they latch onto that. So when my father started giving me that attention, giving me that love, to me, all I could see was that that love is being reciprocated, that he's giving me this attention. I did not know what else was happening. So going back to my first incident, it was um, that feeling of feeling uncomfortable. And then it was um, over over the close touching. And, and he would make me aware of his parts and his genitalia area. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he would tell me um, that this is how fathers show their love. And uh, and it progressed. As I got a little bit older, it was a little bit more, it would start going under the clothes. It would start, there would be a lot of fondling. And then it started becoming, I think, um, just very shortly after the age of six, it started, um, he would try to penetrate either with his finger or with his um, penis. Mm-hmm. And and I remember it would hurt, and I did not know what was happening. I couldn't make sense of it. I remember just sitting there quietly, allowing it to happen. Well, not allowing, but letting the happenings happen. Yes. And um, and it was any any attempt at to get me alone, and it wasn't that it was ever um like it was programmed for him when to do it. He did it at any chance that he got, whether there were people in the house or not in the house. I had incidences at night. I slept with, I don't think I ever slept because every creek would wake me up because he would come in and um, sexually abuse me. Mm -hmm. Or he would come into the bathroom and there was no sense of privacy at my house at all. We were not allowed to lock the doors. The bathroom door had to remain open. Something so simple that we think today, like I go to the bathroom, I lock the door. Yes. But in in my household, it was not like that. And uh, he would make it a point to be the one that is around children. He would be, he would the one he would be the one to bring down the discipline. Wow. So he was very much in control. He was that authority figure. He was the one that would put discipline in or teach somebody a lesson. 
So everybody kind of let him do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as the years went on, um, it got worse and worse. And for me, on a physical level, there was a lot of beating as well. There was a lot of um, manipulation. There was a lot of emotional abuse. Any, any, uh, any, at any platform of abuse, it was all present. Mm-hmm. And, um, and physically, it, um, he tried many, 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 many times to, for full penetration. Mm-hmm. There are moments in my life that are still dark for me. There are times that I don't completely remember everything. Mm-hmm. But the times that I do remember, it, he got in. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was painful, and I remember, I remember just tightening my body, and I remember having an outer body experience, just anything that my brain can conjure up to escape that moment. Yes, and, and um, yeah. that's uh, the trauma would would definitely push, you know, your your light body out, and so yeah, you would have difficulty remembering because you know, it's like a mother who gives birth, you remember it being painful, but how painful, you know, you can't, you can't fathom what that was. And whereas if the trauma was even greater, of course, the mind doesn't remember anything. And that's the mechanism of the mind. Now, now, I know one of the questions that pops into my head at this point is, where is your mother in all this? During those episodes? Yes. Yeah, sometimes she would be in the house. There are often times that I question her knowledge of the events mm-hmm. and um, what what she may have thought was happening or did not know or knew. I don't think it's something that's not noticeable, but then I might be saying that because I'm aware of it. Yes. And um, But she was very much there. And there are times that she did walk in on incidences and he would conjure something up and say like, I, as a child, I had a lot of physical ailments as well. Like my stomach would always hurt. Now it makes sense why. Yes. And, um, and I would say my stomach is hurting a lot. And he would use those things like to tell my mother that he's just checking that if I'm okay, or he's just helping me in the bathroom with something. Mm-hmm. And there was no question. There was no like, well, why are you doing this? Or what did he help with? Or come here, let me, let, let's go see the doctor because your stomach is hurting. Mm-hmm. So, so there, he would have an answer and she would accept that answer. And that would. Sorry for interrupting, but would he be the one who would take you to the physician or would that be your mother? They both would at times, but I was never allowed to speak to my doctor by myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So and there's a lot of, there's a lot of, sorry, there's a lot of um, isolating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how you disempower and disconnect somebody. Yeah. And then you can and then you can manipulate and brainwash the individual in believing whatever it is that you feel that is. Yes. Right. And as a child, I was groomed not to question anything that my parents did mm-hmm. or were doing or said. Mm-hmm. And that that was in my head. So it continued for so many years. Looking back now, you know. Is there anything that, you know, you could go back and, and, and tell the audience, what would your number one be to living in a situation like that? 
I mean, obviously the child doesn't know, but as a parent who has children, what would you suggest for them, especially at such a young age, what would you think would make sense that every mother or father out there could do in order to make it so that things are different? I think paying attention to the relationships around that child is very important. I think that if somebody is stepping over certain boundaries or wants to be around that child a little more or the child is afraid, like really look at your child's behavior. 90% of the time, the answers are right there and we're just not noticing them. There's always this disruption in behavior or this disruption in thought process or a child will have certain moments where they're just looking out into space. Those are key factors that there's something happening in the subconscious. So mm-hmm. just to just to go in and really persuade them to tell you, to give that comfort and pay attention. I would say pay attention, like really, really focus that the child that you gave birth to, to the time that something happens, there is a difference. There mm-hmm. is something that happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then and and then on that note, now that's the six year old and and you know, as you got older, um, one would think that you would probably have friends that were you permitted to invite friends to the home? Or were you allowed to go to friends homes? Or was that not permitted either? I was allowed, no. Uh, I would be told that they can come to the house. Mm -hmm. But uh, something always stopped me because our environment was the angry environment. So you never know when a fight would happen or a disruption would happen. And I think I was afraid from really young and not I, like now I can see everything that I was afraid of. But at that age, I think I was just afraid and I didn't want to bring that to I didn't want that to happen to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Any kind of um, like any sign of anger or anything else. And uh, I was very isolated. I wasn't allowed to have many friends. I wasn't allowed to hang out with a lot of people. Even when my cousins would hang out, come over, I wasn't allowed to hang out with them. If I spend too much of a, a period of time away from my mom, she would find a way to bring me like to her, do what she's doing, do some chores or be in the kitchen or sit with the adults. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a little bit of a background on your father? Who was he? I, I understand from the documentary, he was very involved with the Gordwara or church or temple, whatever uh, the listener is accustomed to. So he was an Orthodox Sikh, so he wore a turban. So you would, one would think by, by looking at him, he, he would be the guy that you would probably go to if you were in a situation like this. Exactly. Yes, he did put that persona on very well. He played the part of this respectable member of, this, of society. This um, person that you could come to if you had problems, he would help you out. And uh, we originally were were from Brampton when we moved to Brampton in 94. And there was a, uh, it wasn't that big of a community, Indian community here. And he helped, um, he helped run the Gurdwara community here at one of our local temples. And he was very involved. And we went to Gurdwara almost every day. I was, even I was very involved in in Gurmukhi and Sikhi and um, the religious teachings. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was well, well known. He would help people that would come from India uh, to be a part of the Gurdwara organization and they would stay at our houses. He was so involved. And anybody that was around him, I'm sure would have said at that time that 
he is just somebody who helps people out. And, but at the same time, he is also a role model for discipline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and your mother, mm-hmm, yeah. what was her background? Did she, was she educated? Where, when did your family immigrate? I'm thinking that they've immigrated into the country, correct? Yes, my mother immigrated first and then married my father and he came here. And she doesn't have a, a she doesn't really have a big educational background, but she's been in Canada long before he immigrated here. So she doesn't really come for her. There's, there's not really much. She's, she is a submissive woman who's been suppressed her majority of her life. Mm-hmm. But she does, she had had family here who were very supportive of her mm-hmm. and, um, you know, allowed her to flourish here and bring her husband and start a life here. Right. So she's been around for a long time. So by the time I was 14, I, I would say they've been here at least 20 years, if and not she, more. Yeah. And she would definitely be, um, you know, she would have fit into society here and she would have understood. Exactly. Her. Exactly. So the, you know, the unfortunate part of it is, is that, you know, uh, the question lies again, was she aware of it? Was she permitting it to happen? Um, It's, you know, one would think that, oh, it could have been, you know, like you said, a very submissive uh, individual who came into the country late, probably, you know, was a little afraid, but she had her own support network prior to the arrival uh, of, of this, uh, horrible man that committed these crimes you know exactly that is it's also one of the things that is hard for me to grasp in my my brain having the support system knowing that this person has done this why not take that step to assure that safety for the child that you brought into this world So this was actually Navi happening, you know, uh, randomly, any day of the week, any time of the day, it could happen anywhere in the household. I couldn't imagine a, you know, a a female, especially a teenager, who's going through so many biological changes, and you were not permitted to shut the door or lock the bathroom door? No, and even changes, I had no idea the kinds of changes that my body was experiencing. And it boggles my mind. I'm a mother and I inform my child of certain things and like certain developmental things. And she reads about them and she has friends and everything. It boggles my mind that I was so, I was so isolated that I wasn't able to talk about things with anybody because I had no idea what to talk about. There was no education behind anything. Yes. Well, when, when it happens, when it starts to happen, I'm sure that it started prior to six, but your early memories take you back to six in the documentary. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. It started well before that. Well before six. I mean, I, I just could not imagine, you know, I come from a background where, you know, your child is, you know, is not just your child, it's everyone's child. And, and Mm -hmm. for me to hear something like this, and I'm sure the listeners would agree is just is just shocking. And yet, it's happening more and more often. Yeah, it is. It is disturbing how normal it has become. Now, why, why is, why do you think that has happened? Is it because we have not educated the people enough? Or is it because we keep silent? I believe it's because we keep silent. I think that when there's light shed to a situation, we can learn from it, we can grow from it, we can adapt around it and see what needs to be done as a society, as a whole functioning unit. 
But when we don't talk about certain things, we just let it pass on generation to generation. Nobody is being held accountable for their actions and therefore continue that behavior, therefore pass on that behavior and show that that behavior is okay. Like there are children, there are children who, who believe that this behavior is normal and therefore go on to do it to others. Right. And that's just like, that's the loop that continues. And that person who is experiencing these things or has fallen victim of certain things or has even seen something does not come out and say anything because there's guilt, there's shame. Yes. There are, there are so many things that goes on in that person's head and it quiets them. So I find that the more we talk about it, the more we shed light to this, the more the people that are doing this can be held accountable and held and be told that, hey, this is not okay. This is not how we function as a society. That's right. And it takes a very courageous individual like yourself. And and once the conversation starts, then the change and the healing can take place. Yes, for sure. You cannot heal that which you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. So, so continuing on your journey, so you're 16 now, uh, and can you, can you, at what point did you decide, okay, I'm, I've had enough, this is not normal. When did that light bulb, I know in the documentary, you said that you had sex education in school, and that was the first time you had known that what was happening to you was not right. normal. Yes, at the age of 13, I participated in a class, in a gym class, and uh, it was around education, around drugs and sex and all these things. And that was when I watched this video about sexual abuse, about, um, and I remember so vividly, this person was so, so a little bit creepy, I would describe them and they were going towards a teenager and I remember that feeling and I could totally relate to this lady on TV this Mm -hmm. uh, teenager Mm -hmm. and my world shattered my world literally shattered and I could not believe what I was seeing and all I was feeling is this is happening to me is this happening to me is my father doing this to me but he's my father and Mm -hmm. I remember being so torn Mm-hmm. between is this is what is happening but how could this be happening like my brain could not understand it mm-hmm. and I walked home that day and it felt like the longest walk of my life and I remember the day just went on like everybody came home nothing had happened but my whole world had changed and for a year after that every time he would do something to me I knew exactly what he was doing I knew exactly what was happening for him and what he was doing to me did you what confront him did you not confront him at that point I, at certain times, said that I was going to scream. Yes. I said that I was going to tell somebody. And those are the times that he would uh, say, nobody will believe me. And they would think I'm crazy. And um, and he would play on the fact that I don't have a good relationship with my, with my mom. My mom was very distant with me from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he would play on that. Isn't that? No, there was not. And he was a very violent person. So it wasn't, if I ever resisted, it came with abuse, like physical abuse. It came with a beating. It came with the holding me down. Oh, my. So there was a lot of rage there. Yes. Yes. And I could, I could, I could totally see how, how it wouldn't have actually happened for a bit of time after that. So, so, and, and there was, you didn't go to a counselor in school. You didn't speak to. I was, 
No, I was too scared. I spoke to a friend of mine, and yes. she also is in the documentary. Yes. And I told her, and, you know, at that age, we, she tried to give me as much support as she could, and she told me something that sometimes I wish I would have done, but I, this is all hindsight bias. Yeah. Um, she did mention for me to tell somebody, but I was way too scared. Like, for a child, that brain of mine was so groomed that I would either die Mm-hmm. Or I would, um, something really horrible would happen to me if I say something. Yeah. And it was in my brain. Like there was no, it was a survival instinct. Definitely. It's a survival instinct that would prevent you from doing something like that. And if you had no understanding of anything other than what was happening in life, how could this possibly be? Exactly. How could this possibly be? Now for the listener, Navi, um, what is, again, you know, as a teenager, I know, you know, culturally, there's so many people, they end up, they leave their children in the care of somebody, and then they go off to work. And they're torn between work, providing, you know, a roof over their head and food on the table, versus, you know, looking after their own children. How were you able to comprehend for your own daughter the you know that fine line of how much is you know how do you make up for it I know there's a lot of people out there you know I was a working mom and I mean for me it was every minute of every day that I could spend with my children was the most important whereas others would buy things for their kids because Mm -hmm. they're feeling they didn't spend that time can you touch on that for the audience um, I think, I think it's in today's society, we all need childcare. We're all working individuals to progress in life. We all need to do certain things, but I think we need to really be aware of who we're leaving our children with and what environment we're leaving our children with. Don't dismiss or excuse certain behaviors that sometimes that we do, do we do that, um, whether it be a drunken uncle in the family or an extra touchy, touchy person in the family, like somebody who's just a little too close to you. Don't excuse those kinds of things. Like it's very important for as a as a parent to really make that environment safe for our children. And if you can't find that in your given homes or in your extended family in a country like Canada, there are organizations that will help you take care of your child. I'm not saying they're the best. I'm not saying that one outweighs the other, but I'm saying that safety component, it is regardless of what we have to achieve in our life, that safety component for the child that we brought into this world is so important. Yes, we can't save them from everything. Yes, we can't educate them on everything, but certain things we can place, certain things we can put in their education, in their lab, like certain awarenesses, certain conversations. If somebody is doing something, come to me and tell me, open that line of communication and believe them when they tell you something and try to build, I think more about, I think allowing space Mm-hmm. for that child and granting them comfort wherever they need is more goes a longer way than something you may be able to buy them or sometimes even time mm-hmm. itself mm-hmm. like it, the, this child this person this entity that's in this world needs space to grow needs to feel comfortable we are their structure mm-hmm. when they're brought into this world we are their guardians we're meant to protect them even if that means we're protecting them from us mm-hmm 
exactly and 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 also on on that note i know in today's educational system they're saying you know uh, culturally people will say hey you know it's uncle so-and-so or auntie so-and-so go give them a hug exactly if your child is not comfortable do not force them to accommodate certain things that we may be comfortable with that is a completely different person if for some reason they are introverted and they do not want to give that hug allow them to respectively say hi from a distance yeah. like it's it's about that person it's about their boundaries it's about teaching them that it's okay to be the person that you are it's okay to uphold certain boundaries until you feel comfortable and trust this person enough that you want to open up i found that um in my growing up experience yes i there are times when i uh did not i did not want to give somebody a hug or i did not want to sit with the adults there are so many little things or even sit with my dad in the car like there are incidences in my childhood when he would ask me to come have like a come go pay bills, sorry, pay bills with him. And I remember saying, I don't want to go, but I was not allowed to voice that. No, I had to listen and I had to go. And it would come from my mom as well. No, he's saying, so go with him. It's playing on that authority. It's playing on that like dominance. And I think like we're really doing a disservice to our future youth by telling them that this is what they have to do mm -hmm. so so it's it's a matter of asking permission goes a long yes. way because then yes. they get used to there's a permission that needs to be given so that's empowering to them to say that hey you know what i get to give this permission or not give this permission and exactly. that will make a difference and also yes. and it'll teach them sorry it'll teach them that they they matter mm -hmm. what is something that you wished your mother had done you know in regards to that obviously i mean there's a lot of things you wish your mom had yes done. <laughs> besides the obvious um yeah. uh, many things mostly protect me there's much she may not have control over she may not have known but once those words escaped my mouth and uh, and her reacting the way she did i wish her reaction would have been to protect me and believe me it was extremely painful and it completely broke me as a person when I was accused of lying after conjuring up so much courage to even tell her, even though my brain was going to like, you know, fight or flight, like it's like, you're going to die if you do this and I'm still doing it. So it took all my might to do that. And then to have the one person who's supposed to be your comfort in this life, your guide in this life to throw it back at me. It was, it broke me. It totally broke me. And truth be told, I, it still plays on my mind. Like I've done a lot of healing and a lot of a journey through a lot, but it still plays on my mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, this is, this is where you, as a parent, you know, even bringing a little one, I mean, you're, it's a lesson for everyone that when you're blessed with a child, that the creator is really giving us hope that life continues. But yeah. what I think the key here is, is that people don't understand that the children came through us. They're not ours. Yes. No, we are vessels. We are just used as vessels for an entity to come into this world. It does not mean we control them or rule them or run them. We're supposed to just guide them through life and let them know, at least this is my understanding of it thus far, we're just supposed to be these pillars in their life that if they so ever need, we are here for them. 
Right. And then everything that you can empower them with the goodness of whatever you've learned up to this time in your life, that is what you're supposed to be, you know, imparting Mm -hmm. into them. That's, that's, that's amazing. You know, like, do you speak to your mother or father at all now? I I do not know. I uh, do not speak to any family. No, no family member has ever reached out to you? Not my brother or sister or my parents. Any cousins? Any relatives at all? I have, some people have started reaching out, but for the last, um, since I filed the charges in 2016, there has been one cousin that has reached out. And were they supportive of what you've done and were they understanding of what you had to go through in life? Yes, she has. I don't think that um, I don't. I don't think that this is something that I can explain to anybody. And I think where she can be compassionate, she is, yes. and where she can try, she does definitely hold space for me, which is which goes a long way. Yes, yes. Well, thank God am, for yeah. the ones that I are, am. Yes, right. Yeah. Um, and people like people are waking up and the, I am not the first one that's been infected, affected by his behavior. Oh, wow. And, um, oh, wow. So, I that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so, he, so you were not the only victim. I was not. No, like I'm, I'm not going to speak for anybody else, but this yeah. is something that I know. Yeah. And, and, and you know what, it's up to that individual to step forward. And exactly. now in 2016, after the trials, I want you to just for the listeners out there that are probably having this big question mark, should we proceed? Because I know locally here in British Columbia, um, there have been cases where people, uh, you know, the victim has stepped up, but unfortunately things haven't gone quite the way they expected and, and what happened in their cases that it's just been too long. Mm-hmm. The courage that they actually built up to come forward with their story took so long, so many years, but now the court systems basically said, sorry, there isn't anything. Uh, what do you have as advice for those particular cases? Is there something that comes to mind? Yeah, I don't, you know, I, I wish I was in front of everybody to say this, but um, don't be discouraged and uh, steer clear of an expectation of an outcome. The fact that these individuals are coming forward or even, you know, getting to that point of, um awareness that this happened and this was not okay and they're trying to do something about it speaks so loudly in this universe as a whole and um and i think there's so many things that we do not have control over unfortunately our system is just learning how to handle such cases there are so many areas that people fall in between the cracks and that is not something we can control and I don't want that these people get discouraged because there's a system that has a flaw. That is something that it that will happen in time. But the more people that come out, the more stories, the more people that go and knock on those doors and are like, give us justice, I feel would bring out more change, maybe at even a faster rate. And to give themselves credit, like it takes so much to be able to do just that, just that. And it may seem just that, but that's a huge step. And everything post that you have, unfortunately, we do not have control over. Even in my case, there are still things that are pending. Mm-hmm. Like just because this man is sentenced and he has been found guilty, he is not behind bars. 
And to me, it, it doesn't make sense. But that, again, is my limit. That is not something I can control. So yeah. therefore, just taking away that expectation of an outcome may help these individuals kind of move forward in their journey and do things that they need to do to keep going. Like it might not come from one side. You may be able to get justice from a different way or you're rebuilding that, that strength in you to empower yourself to be that voice for other people. Exactly. Now, prior to you going through the whole court case and how, how you know, difficult that would have been and you really having to sit with that decision of proceeding forward, what, what can you say has happened? What transformed you? Uh, and I, wanna, I want to take you to um, the side of the conversation as obviously you're out of uh, harm's way, but can you give us some of the incredible lessons? I mean, you've got probably more than enough to share, but with you opening up and taking the courage and the strength, telling your story, what exactly was happening? Can you can you share with us uh, those feelings? Yes, um, I was scared. Even at uh, 30 years, I was really scared. I uh, went back, it felt like I went back in time and I was that teenager again who was coming out with us for the first time and was gonna get murdered. I had all kinds of things happening inside of me. I was having an existential crisis, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And um, I, uh, I, I, felt, I felt I was losing my mind for a long time. It wasn't until I made the decision to actually file charges that I felt a sense of calm. I felt like I was giving my internal self, my little self, that validation that something so bad happened to me. And I was actually putting voice to it. So at that point, it started calming down for me. But that year before that, I'd been thinking about it and trying to figure out what I'm going to do or how to move forward. It was really rough. It took a a near-death experience for me to really feel like, hey, there's something here that has not been addressed. And I I cannot leave this world knowing that my child is here, that she may have access to he may, sorry, my parents may have access to her without any questions because they are my parents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, uh, and it shook me up. It really yeah. shook me up. Which is great because the emotions that are stored in the body have finally been able to be released. And that releasing sensation that you had when you vocalized came into your entire being. Uh, I, could, I could only imagine what was happening uh, with your daughter at that time? My daughter, uh, I ended up telling her before I filed charges. I wanted her to know what was happening. Mm-hmm. I told her she was uh, 15, I believe, at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she was very upset, and like for me. She was hurt for me. But mm-hmm. she showed power, this little girl. She was like, Mom, you have to do this. She was my strength behind it. And she was like, this is the right thing to do. And, um, yeah, we handled it. She was having some ups and downs in her life. You know, she's transitioning through teenage years. My yeah. dad and I are not together. So she was kind of figuring out, figuring out if she wanted to live with him or she wanted to live with me. And um, shortly after that, she decided she was going to live with me. But, um, 
it, it was a difficult transition. Like there was a lot happening between it. Like it was a lot for her to take in. Mm-hmm. I was very ill before that. Like I had my own things happening. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I kept the line of communication open with her. There are things that I look back at now and I wish I had more knowledge to talk to her about different things that I can now. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that I was able to have that conversation and tell her that this is what's happening with me and this is what I'm about to do. And we may not understand what's going to happen or how I'm going to react through this, but this is why it is not you. It is not, you know, my love for you is not different. There were so many things that I was able to put her first and, and really show her that this time right now, whatever I may go through the up and down that I may have, it does not have anything to do with her or my love for her. Isn't that beautiful that you became the mother that you deserved? You became the mother that you deserved, and I'm speaking on behalf of the audience. That's uh, that's uh, uh, amazing, amazing. Now, if if you could go back where you are today and speak to that inner child at age six or age seven, what would you say to that inner child, Navi? So many things. I would... So many things. Um, I would tell her she's loved and she's accepted as she is. I want to I I stop you there. Stop, stop you there. The importance of self-love. Can you reflect on that, Navi? It is so important. I am only now learning that. And um, <clears throat> I wish that this is something that is taught to us. Because a sense of self-love kind of is giving me this power that regardless of what happens in my external environment, I will not lose me. And no matter, I, I accept me. And it is, it's this internal cup of love that never diminishes because I'm feeling it. It's not coming from external gratification or external love. It's all me. And had I learned this before, I believe that there are so many experiences in life that I may not have had. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so many things that I may be able to give myself. I may be able to achieve things differently, look at the world differently, accept things. Um, it's just, I think it's one of those things that unless you've never had it, mm-hmm. you don't understand how you've never had it. Exactly. So, you, so, so love is something that unless you're full, you cannot give it. Yes. Yes. There is that saying. You can't fill right. somebody else's cup with an empty cup. Yeah. So I would tell my inner child that, that like, I love her and I accept her just as she is. And that's what she needs to do. She does not need to hide. She doesn't have to be scared. She's done nothing wrong because I remember being a kid and feeling like it is me. And I felt that way for a long, long time. I didn't start my healing journey until 2015. Mm-hmm. And all those years before that, I felt it. I felt there was something wrong with me. Like I was less than or I was, you know, I deserved this. It was my fault. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could have, I could have gone back and tell that person way back when that none of this is your fault. And you don't have to be scared and you're not wrong and you're still pure and you have so much of life before you. I would tell her that nobody can take her power away, no matter how intimidating they may be. And I, yeah, that's beautiful. a lot of things I would have told, I would tell her. No, but again, you know, the natural ones that come out are, are so, so 
so important because that is your foundation. And if you were mm -hmm. not, you did not have a solid foundation uh, from your mother from when you were a little child, it's a very difficult journey going through life. And at 25, whatever, right? Having to mm -hmm. go back there. But, you know, life would have been different for you. But, I you know, at the same time, the depth of who you are today would have been different as well, right? For sure. Yes, I do believe that my experiences have shaped me. And for the better, like I'm able to have certain conversations that most people find it difficult to. And do, do you still go to that, that place? Do you still go to that lonely, isolated, difficult place, that dark place that you described when you were a child? Do you ever go there? Or is that something that you've you, you I, come to terms with? Um, I'd be lying if I said that it's not there. It is there. Mm -hmm. But I spend a lot less time there now. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's, uh, that shows the courage, not only the courage, the strength that you're pulling yourself up, because everything lies within you. And that is amazing. Navi, where, where do you see yourself in five years from now? I am hoping that um, I have left most of this pain behind me. I'm hoping to be adding joy to my life and others' lives. I hope to be helping other survivors of childhood sexual abuse along their journey. Um, I hope I'm more involved in the healing community. Hopefully by five years, I've learned more and I can help out more. And um, empowering other people to, for whatever that means for them, even if it's just talking or showing them avenues or just listening to their story or telling them what I've experienced and how I went through it or how I had to pull out every bit of coping tool to get through certain times, whatever it means. I'm hoping that I'm able to be that voice. Yes, and I know that you you love meditating and you love yoga. You. Yeah. So that's a beautiful thing. We definitely would be doing something where we're creating a program online for people and free of charge. And I definitely will be reaching out to you so we can co-create something beautiful within the community. That's amazing, for sure. 100%. Um, share a daily habit that you can't live without anymore. <laughs> I will have to say it's gratitude. Yay! It allows me to, I was, you know, I like, it kind of sounds like a cliche at this moment, but no, you know, I'm going to say it because it's one of those things that, you know, I've seen a lot in my life and I've been witness to a lot of darkness, the dark side of the human mind. Yes. And when you bear witness to such darkness, it's hard to see the beauty in the world. Mm -hmm. I find when I do my little gratitude things, no matter how hard it is for me at certain days, or sometimes I really don't want to do them, but I force myself to do it, I'm able to see the humanity in the world still. I'm able to see little things that make this world work and be grateful for little things that are working. Mm -hmm. And instead of concentrating on all the things that I have to surpass or all the conditioning or all my physical ailments or what it means to be, to have survived such a trauma, I'm able to focus on the positive when I'm doing my gratitude journal. So I don't have to say it's the gratitude journal. Good, good show. That's, <laughs> I mean, I, I have to practice myself and it goes a long way. 
It does. I never would have thought maybe like five, six years ago, if somebody asked me this, that I would say gratitude journal. (laughs) Well, you know, one of the questions that I had for you was, you know, time heals all wounds in your case. It's a work in progress, right? Yes, it is is a work in progress. And I think it's time and effort. I do a lot of therapy work and I use it every day. Mm-hmm. I really pull out my tool belt to give myself coping tools to handle situations that come up or moments that I may be stuck in. Mm-hmm. So I think along with time, patience, effort, it all works together. That's beautiful. You're you're stepping into your teaching teaching shoes now. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have you back, and we're gonna get you to maybe put something together where you can. Uh, you can come back and share with the audience and uh, and with myself where we can uh, share some of the tools that you have as well as um, hopefully we can have an open line. We'll have a live show. We'll definitely have you for that as well. Yeah, uh, for sure. Anything I can do to help. Yeah, no, definitely. Now, what is your greatest strength, Navi? This is usually kind of going towards the end of the show. What is your greatest strength and the most challenging weakness presently? Um, so I would say my greatest strength is um, my desire for life and my perseverance. I just have this thing in me that's like, just keep going, just keep going. <laughs> and um my biggest challenges, and it's not just one, my weaknesses, I have um, my link to my past tends to be a weakness at times, my conditioning, there's certain core beliefs that I hold about myself that I have to work through therapy with, my relations with the world mm. sometimes can be a weakness, and um, yeah, that's, that's uh, to be completely raw, it's, it's really me, like internally. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, it's, even if you didn't have such a journey to the dark side, you know, you still would have certain challenges that would come up. Oh, for sure. And, and, you know, that, that is, you know, the yin and the yang of life. Yes. Yes. Positive and the negative. And uh, Mm -hmm. so we're definitely going to have you back, um, hopefully within the next 30 days. And we're going to see if we can create something which goes live. So if there's anybody in the audience that wants to call in and be a part of that, if we don't do it in the next 30 days, it will happen within the next six months. I guarantee you that because uh, Navi is a great teacher for all of us to learn from. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And so if, uh, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, Navi, is there something that you want to share with them as much as I will put uh, the links to the documentary as well as the links to this? Is there somewhere that someone can reach out or would you prefer them maybe uh, be screened a little bit? I, I don't want you to be inundated with stuff either. Um, no, I think I, I'm not really on social media, so I'm not worried about that. And uh, I have, um, I think I sent you a link to my email address. Yes. And um, do bear in mind if anybody is reaching out to me, I might not be able to respond promptly, but I will get back to you. And um, my uh, YouTube channel, it's not much of a channel at the moment. I just have my documentary up, but it's just kind of following my story. So if anybody wants to hear more details or kind of see what I've done with it, it's available there. That's under Navi G, capital G. And then my email address is uh, navi.bradley, 
uh, Garcha, G-A-R-C-H-A, 84 at gmail.com. And we'll put that up on our website. It'll be on our main page for anyone that's listening. And on that note, I am so very thankful for organizations such as Seek Awareness Society, which has stepped up to shed light on something which has grown day by day. And uh, no one in this day and age should be feeling shame, guilt, disrespect from the family. Uh, and uh, I just wanna, I wanna thank Navi Garcha for stepping up and stepping out today with Uplifting Humans. I'm Cylindron Buller, your host. Uh, tune in, go to the website, upliftinghumanswithas.com and listen for more on Navi's story. Thank you.